On episode 241 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn simple strategies to win more singles and doubles matches with coach Jonathan Stokey. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, this is Mirban. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And this is part two of my wide-ranging conversation with Coach Jonathan Stokey. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then definitely check out episode 239 with Jonathan. And you can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash 239 or, of course, tennisfiles.com slash podcast. And just to kind of recap uh, Jonathan's resume, he hosts the Baseline Intelligence Podcast and he is a tennis coach in Charleston. Uh, He has an amazing uh, resume as both a player and a student athlete with the Duke men's tennis program, 14 years in total. He was a former All-American and two-time All-ACC pick. And he went 93-59 and 59 in singles and 113-47 to 47 in the doubles, ranking fifth all-time on Duke's doubles list. And he was an All-American and a two-time All-ACC selection while being named to the All-ACC Academic Team and ACC Honor Roll for three years. So I think you'll really enjoy our conversation, uh, the second part of it today, where we talk about uh, how Jonathan uh, created a a very strong uh, online following, particularly on Instagram, and the importance of recording video, how to not lose your talent. Uh, we talk about the importance of not overcoaching, uh, how Jonathan plans for his lessons, and also some fantastic singles and doubles strategies, uh, very simple but effective that will help you win more matches. So I think you'll really enjoy this one. So without further ado, here is the second part of my interview with Coach Jonathan Stokey. Jonathan, uh You've been coaching for a while now, you know, with, with Duke and with players and all that. Is there any particular, you know, a, a philosophy that you had maybe when you were like a younger coach that maybe you changed uh, over time after, you know, experience and studying and all that? Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch. Uh, I know that I've changed so much from age. You know, I was coaching Duke when I was 26, that was my first year there. And I was coaching at wake when I was 24. So, Mm. I mean, wow, 13 years ago, like I would hope that I'm a much better, better coach than I was then and have learned some more. But one thing I know recently is I used to tell my guys at Duke on second serves, let's hang back. Let's hit a heavy forehand, deep middle. Let's make sure we make as many as we can Mm. and then put pressure on them to win their ground stroke point. And now my philosophy is completely different. And, uh, you know, Craig O'Shaughnessy talked about it. Uh, Jesse Pagula on my podcast, she talked about it. Hey, we're attacking second serves. You know, that is your opponent is usually thrown in something weak. It's okay if I miss a few. I want that person to feel crazy pressure when they're hitting a second serve. And, you know, my guys at Duke mm-hmm. would be like, I, I used to fight with one guy. He was our number one and he always wanted to attack. And I'd be like, no, 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 <laughs> hang back. Like just hit heavy. And he would like, roll over right now if he knew that I was completely, you know, coaching the opposite way now, but, (laughs) but yeah, I'm, I'm all into attacking it now and and putting them under pressure. But most of what changes my mind, like I said, is, is something that's fact-based. So when I see data from the tour and I see what players are doing, if it contradicts Mm -hmm. what I used to believe, okay, well now I believe something new because someone proved to me there's a better way. Um, and that has certainly happened, but I'd say that second serve example is a pretty good one. That's pretty neat. Yeah, that's, that's good to know about. Yeah, as a server, I hate it when when somebody is like putting a lot of pressure on me on the second serve. It's uh, you know, it rushes everything. In terms of um your podcast, so actually, you know what? Let's back up for, and and actually let's uh see your origin story with online first and then we'll get into your awesome podcast. But 
I'm curious, like what, you know, what inspired you to get on Instagram is obviously, you know, like, I don't know, millions of coaches or whatever, or thousands, but, and you're doing really well on it. I think you have maybe like 34,000 or so, uh, hopefully I'm not mis-, mis saying that, but, um, what, what motivated you to put yourself on, uh, you know, online and then how has that been for you? Because it's not easy to be posting, you know, frequently and, and gaining these subscribers. You're not getting them for nothing. You're doing uh, a lot of great stuff. So how did that all come about? So, you know, I left Duke, uh, the pandemic started in what spring of 2020 and that was my 10th year at Duke and I left Duke and I moved to Charleston and I was coaching juniors and ended up coaching two girls privately, Claudia and Vivian Miller. Claudia is at Middlebury now. Vivian is going to go to Brown uh, mm. next fall. And I was coaching them kind of on like a little public court on Sullivan's Island near Charleston. And uh, their dad was like, hey, you got to come up with an Instagram page because no one knows you exist like in Charleston. Like you're going to have to coach other people once my daughters, you know, kind of graduate and leave. And I'm like, oh, I hate social media. You know, I, I never post like, why, why would I do that? Look at you now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I started a page. If you look back at it's at Stokey tennis, if you look back at, you know, my first posts, they're very different than what I'm doing now. And basically I just started the page and I would follow everyone who I could see in Charleston area who was following tennis stuff. So if you were a member of a tennis club, I would just mm-hmm. click follow kind of like a little nudge and go, Hey, you know, I exist. And you know, happy to coach if you want. And that was kind of why I started it. And then, you know, one day I made a little reel about Claudia working on her backswing and it got a couple thousand views. And I was like, huh, okay, that was kind of fun. And sweet. Yeah. And then I, I started yeah. doing a few more of those. And then I'd get messages from people and they'd say, Hey, you know, I saw that video. It really helped me. Like, that was awesome. Thanks, man. And I'm like, Hey, that made me feel great. I'll do another one. Sure. And then it just kind of took off. And you know, so I do like four or five videos a week. The funny thing is the kids love it. I, I usually I have a kid in my, you know, it's a drill of a kid doing something and they love being in the videos yeah. and you know, they're, now they're all trying to get in it, but it's, it's pretty funny, but, um, you know, it started <laughs> as a way I video everything. So I want to see how their stroke looks. So I always have this footage of them. And then sometimes it's something that I could actually throw on social media and someone else could learn from it. But yeah, it started off like just Hey, I'm just this little coach and coaching on a public court and it's kind of grown into something different than that. And, but the most rewarding thing has been that I get messages from, you know, people I don't know all the time saying, man, that, that, that one really helped me out. Or, you know, can you do a video on this? Cause I struggle with this type of thing in my game and, you know, helping people I don't know has been super fun for me. Yeah. That's awesome. That's the most rewarding part of it. Uh, curious too, like is, in terms of your setup, what do you use to record? I've got like a $25 tripod that will fall over in the wind. I got to put like my, my hoodie and my pants and my tennis bag at the base. So it doesn't fall over my phone has, I don't know how it survived. It's fallen down so many times, but I just put my, I put my iPhone in a tripod and I just film. And like I said, you know, I'm filming their serve. I'm filming their ground stroke from the side. So I have all this catalog for each player, what their strokes have looked like. And then occasionally the the camera angle or whatever i go oh that's a that could be a great video like someone else can learn from that uh but yeah super simple just the iphone and the and the little tripod awesome yeah it's definitely want to highlight that again you know probably for the thousandth time on the podcast just like how easy it can be to record yourself which is uh super valuable do you use any sort of like apps or anything for analyzing the video or stats or notes or anything so you know i've used coaches eye before, if I'm you know, sending it to a kid and, and using it for technique, I actually just got this mm-hmm. cool product. I don't think it's out for release now. It's called Baseline Vision, and you actually hook it up on the you know, mm. end of a net post. Um, and that kind of tracks where you're hitting the ball, how fast, how high. It's a different way to do the same thing. Uh, so I'm definitely interested cool. in that. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in things that can be measured. You know, if, how do I tell you your serve's going faster if I can't prove it? You know, I want to be able to prove it. Hey, it's, it's seven miles an hour faster. That's a big deal. So yeah, I use, I use stuff like that. You know, as far as technology goes, it's pretty much just the phone and looking at it and, and slowing it down. I don't think you have to overcomplicate it. Something with coach's eye where you can draw on it and show them, Hey, here's your elbow position or here's your racket position. Just the visual for a player usually gets the job done. And then I also do, you know, I'll video a lot of matches and chart. But that's all by that's all by hand. There's no technology there. It's just watching the match and 
collecting points that look the same and then showing that to the kid. But that's all, that's actually pretty labor intensive. But I find that's actually where they make the biggest gains, especially tactically. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, true. Very true. Uh, when you videotape the matches, is that a different setup or do you still have the tripod behind or are you like clamping it to the fence or something? I've got the, I've got these old, uh, it's like a movie. I think it's a MUVI VHO little little camera it's been around forever it's only like 150 bucks they're yeah. super durable i put one of those camera poles on the top so it's not my iphone um, there you go but it gets the whole cord in there i used to send it to tennis analytics or scissor um now i'll just you know mm. i only have a few kids that kind of need that type of work so i'll send it with them to a tournament come back watch the match see what we were working on it's not debatable right when you show a kid what's actually happening like how can you argue you know you yeah. You hit 10 forehand winners <laughs> to this side. That's what we've been working on. It's awesome. You missed 10 backhand returns in the net. Okay. Like that, that happened also. And so video is just amazing. It's just an impartial, this is what happened. This is what needs to improve. And you go from there. But if you're not videoing things and you're not tracking things, I think along with that deliberate practice aspect, it's pretty tough to improve. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, you know, Jonathan, as far as like using your phone, like, you know, you obviously teach a lot of students and probably use your phone as well. So uh, do you have like some sort of external battery pack or how do you keep that thing going the whole day? My phone, it, it must have just like so much heart and grit because like I said, you know, <laughs> like it, yourself. yeah, I mean, like the phone has fallen off the tripod, off the little tripod and it sounded like it shattered into a million pieces. And I'm like, OK, this was the day it finally cracked and I'll look at it. And it's fine. And, you know, I'm out there eight to 10 hours a day videoing a fair amount. And usually by the time I get home, it's at, you know, 15, 20%. But I've never, I've never run out of battery. Knock on wood, the, the phone hasn't cracked. But um, yeah, maybe it's just a wow. special phone that I should never get rid of. It's the iPhone 10. It's not even a new one. But yeah, it gets the job wow. done. That's amazing. Do you have a, yeah, I hope you have a case on it. Do you have a case and screen protector? Uh, I wouldn't even know. I've got, I've got a case that kind of holds some, <laughs> some credit cards. I don't know. It must be durable because it's, okay. it's worked well. I think I have a screen. I'm, I'm not good with this stuff. That's why it's hilarious <laughs> that like I'm making these Instagram videos oh, on man. my phone. Like I, I've got no idea what, what's going on with the phone. You're, you're a role model, Jonathan. See, anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even if exactly. you're not a, a tech nerd like myself, that's physically apparent, I guess. Nice. So in terms of your podcast, Jonathan, uh, Baseline Intelligence Podcast, which you've had some great guests. I mean, you mentioned uh, Jessica, you've had Rajiv as, as well, Rajiv Ram, Craig O'Shaughnessy, we just talked about, Nick Saviano, Carlos and Josh uh, Goffey. I might be mispronouncing that, but um, what, uh, you know, how, when did you start it? And like, you know, what made you think about uh, starting a podcast, which not everyone does? <laughs> right. So kind of in December, I actually had a friend, his name's Clay Davis, and he's got his own Instagram page. It's kind of about self-improvement, help, and he's got a newsletter. And he was cool. kind of like, you know what? He's like, I'm going to start a podcast. And I was like, oh, it seems like a good idea. Like, I'll practice on me, like interview me first, you know, like just get your reps nice. in, like figure out how to go. And, and then I was like, huh, maybe, you know, I don't know. seems like a cool thing. Maybe I could try. And so I started looking at tennis podcasts. I came across yours. I've listened to great bass before. I was like, man, yeah, these are helpful. And at the time I was only coaching about six to seven hours a day. So maybe like 11 to six. I was like, hmm. I got a lot of time in the morning and I could definitely do this and I'll get to interview cool people and I'll get to learn from them. Even if I only learn two things every time, that's incredible. I'll learn 50 to a hundred things a year. And all these great people will come and just share their knowledge. Like that's an amazing, amazing thing. So, you know, around Christmas, uh, I interviewed Jesse and Rajiv. I played doubles with Rajiv growing up. I actually lived with Jesse when she was seven years old. When I was in Hilton Head, I told you at Smith Cerns, I'd lived <laughs> with their family for a year and then the summer. So I had known her for a long time. Um, wow. So I started with them and then started with some coaches I knew. And it's been great. Like I said, I've learned so many things from a player perspective, from a coaching perspective. And like I said, I also have a, a new appreciation for people who have well-established podcasts because it's a lot of work. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not easy and it's not easy editing. And um, I don't know if you get stressed when you're doing yours, but I'm always like, man, is this episode good enough? Like, are these people going to learn something? Is it entertaining? And 
did my questions stink? I, I hate the sound of my own voice. You know, you start going through like these things and oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's been, it's been fun. You know, I've only done five episodes so far. I'm planning on doing two a month and just trying to get quality guests who can, you know, my goal is someone listens to the 30 minute episode and then goes, ah, that concept really made sense to me. I'm going to use that. And then they go and they get better. That that's kind of my goal for the podcast. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh, really happy that you started, and you know, as a you have a lot of great connections, like you said, you know, with the with the people that you've been around. Um, so definitely want people to check out your podcast. Of course, we'll have the link uh, to it on the show notes page. I guess so far, um, can you highlight maybe like one or two of your favorite conversations, or just like in general, like topics that you've been talking about with a couple of your guests? Uh, you know, Craig. Craig's episode, the third episode, you know, he's been on a ton of podcasts before, but he gives so much incredible information about the first four shots, you know, coming to the net. Those are things I encourage everyone to pay attention to. Uh, Saviano had a good, a good little tip at the end. It was actually a response to an Instagram question. And the question was, what do you do on days when you're not playing the way you normally do? And mm. his response was, you don't lose your talent. So. Hmm. When you're not playing mean? well, it, when mm -hmm. you're not playing well, it's not like you woke up and all of a sudden you're incapable of hitting the same way. Mm -hmm. Like some, something has changed. So you can problem solve. And usually what that something is, is a mindset and you're not kind of in that flow state. But I really like the way he presented it because I think that's the panic from a lot of people. Oh my God, what's going on with my serve? Why isn't it here today? Well, yeah. you've hit a million serves. You know how to serve. What's different is you're probably a little tense today. You're probably really worried about the outcome. Um, and so he gave some great advice on how to get back in the present, uh, thinking about your targets, split stepping every time, something that just gets you into the now. So you're in a little bit more of a flow state. Um, but I really like the way he just kind of, it's true. I mean, you don't just lose your talent overnight. So there's a reason why you're not hitting it as well. Take your time, calm down, start with your mentality and then kind of go from there. Um, I thought that was a great one. And then, you know, on the player side, Jesse and Rajiv, I find it interesting, you know, they talk about, you know, nerves and doubting themselves. And Rajiv was kind of like, man, I like being nervous. Like, that means I care, you know? Nice. And I think that's something that so many people run away from. I don't want to be nervous. You know, that's a bad thing. Nerves are bad. Oh my God, I got so tight. I got so nervous. And, you know, nerves mean you care. And then you manage how that affects your performance, right? You channel that into something positive. But I really liked his perspective as well. On that's something that he's excited that he still has at age 37. Love that. Yeah. And what, a lot of great advice there. And again, you know, it shows the quality of the information being put on your podcast. So uh, definitely one to, to listen to. Yeah. Nick's answer reminded me about, um, have you heard of David Goggins before? Uh-huh. Yep, certainly have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I kind of want to imitate him, but I won't. But, uh, you know, he has this like uh, this cookie jar method, which reminded me of uh, Nick's advice about like, you know, that you don't lose your talent. I mean, it's kind of related. I guess it's like, you know, when you're going through a tough time, you kind of go into the cookie jar. And what you're doing is you're like remembering previous victories or in this case that, you know, you're able to execute on, on things um, and that that can really help you uh, kind of reset yourself. So uh, really I like, like that. that. I haven't heard that one. That's good. Yeah. 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 His book is, is really good. Really interesting. Good stuff. So uh, in terms of, uh, you know, your, your future plans and everything, like what's, what's kind of next for you? It's a great question. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to continue with the podcast and the Instagram stuff. But again, like I told you, I started the Instagram with no plan. Like it's, it's not a business for me. It's like, oh, cool. I've got followers, but I don't really know where I'm going with that. Um, I'm going to keep putting out hopefully content that helps people. Um, mm -hmm. the podcast, I definitely plan on, on continuing to do and continue to learn myself and hopefully sharing that with other people as a coach. I mean, at the end of the day, like what I'm really passionate about is coaching. And I hope that comes through in the podcast or my videos or just the kids I work with, but that's, it's not work for me. I don't feel like I work right now. So I'll Love continue it. to coach. I've got a bunch of good, good players that I work with privately, uh, a bunch of nice kids I work with kind of in a group setting. And that's really where my passion is. So, you know, I still see myself being on court eight to 10 hours a day, 
And, you know, they always make fun of me. I mean, I, I shouldn't get as excited as I do when I see little improvements, like they're not even excited. And I'm like, man, you're sure, man, it looks so much better. And they're like, really, that, that makes you that happy. And I'm like, yeah, sadly it does. That's so yeah, cool. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to keep coaching, you know, the juniors and spending time out there and, you know, we'll see what happens with the podcast and the Instagram, if that turns into anything different, but um, yeah, just continue coaching and enjoying it. And I'm curious what your, um, like how you are able to get yourself going. Like, you know, obviously we don't wake up every single day, like uh, with, with hundred percent uh, energy and all that. So like on days where, you know, might be tough for you. Um, what do you, what do you do to get yourself, uh, you know, the proper mindset? It's a good question. And I would say this isn't by choice. I think it's just how you're wired. I don't have many days like that. I really don't. Nice. I don't wake up and go, man, I got a, I got 10 hours today, man. Like, oh, that's tough. I have days where I'm physically tired. I mean, standing on court. So right now my normal schedule is seven to nine and in the morning and then like 11 to six or 11 to seven. And so it's mm -hmm. 10 hours, it's seven to seven. I get there, it's dark. I leave, it's dark. It's a lot. There's a lot of people out there that do that. And sometimes I'll wake up tired. The good news for me is like, once I see the kid, if they're motivated, I instantly have energy. Nice. You know, and, and so when the kid brings that, it's like, there's no way I'm ever going to be tired with a motivated kid. So they kind of fuel me. Like, I can't even take credit for that. Like when they come out at seven in the morning and they're excited, I'm like, man, this is great. Let's go. I'm immediately awake. So I think I get a lot of that from the kids. Mm. And then what do you do if your kid is not motivated? Like, do you do anything in particular to get them motivated? You know, it's interesting. I, I've heard coaches kind of go both ways. Like, is that the coach's responsibility to motivate the kid? Or is that the player's responsibility to bring their own motivation and their own attitude? I tend to be on the second side of that. I, mm -hmm. I expect you to come motivated. And like you said, I mean, most coaches, okay, you have to motivate yourself too. And then I have to figure out how to get you better. And if I also have to figure out how to get you to try, well, what's your job? <laughs> like, what do you do in the whole process? So, yeah. you know, where I stand for is like, hey, you show up ready to work and trust that I have thought about your game all night long and I took down notes and I'm showing up at your lesson and I'm going to try to give you the best hour you can. And if you're not motivated, there's a good chance we probably won't be working together because number one, that's going to be an energy drain for me. And I only have so many hours and I'd like to coach people who are motivated. And it's not like a, there's no hard feelings there. It's just, that's, I'm not looking, you can't get better without that motivation. So if I'm teaching you a lesson and I know we can't get better, then what are we doing out there? So the good news for me is, is all the people I work with right now have incredible motivation. They have great attitudes. They all want to learn. So I don't really have that problem. Um, but I rely on them to bring that themselves. Definitely. Yeah, definitely agreed there. So um, in terms of like coaching, have you seen any like big mistakes? Like, I guess I'll reframe it. What are the biggest mistakes that you've seen coaches make? Ooh, good question. And I'll just have to think about what I do all the time. Right. <laughs> um, I think over coaching is a big one. That's one I, I have to stop myself. I, I always want to help. I always want to say something. Sometimes you just need to shut up. You know, the mm. kid knows what they did. Let them work it out themselves. You don't have to say something every time. I think that's a big one. Just always feeling like you need to, you need to say something. Another mistake I see in coaching is just a lack of preparation. I mean, if a lesson shows up and you don't have a plan for what you're going to do, I think you're already behind the eight ball. And I've had yeah. kids before say, oh man, you planned our practice. And I'm like, well, who doesn't like, you don't need to tell me who your coach was that didn't, but man, that's kind of shocking. Like you got to show up with a plan. You've got to spend time outside of that lesson, looking at the stroke or looking at their match and, and really spending time figuring out what's going on. So when you get to that hour, you can get right into it and maximize your time. The only other thing I'd say, and again, this is something I'm guilty of is just keeping everything completely on the process. You know, so mm -hmm. what does saying good shot mean? Like, why, why did I even say that? Like, I, now I'm just making the kid think about the outcome of the, of the point instead of maybe I could, mm -hmm. I could applaud the process. Hey, great footwork, you know, great job getting in position there. Oh, and they mm -hmm. hit a winner. Okay. But I don't need to necessarily applaud them for that. Or, Hey, great pre-shot routine. That was awesome. You know, and mm -hmm. sometimes I will fall into the habit of just saying, Oh, great shot. Great point. 
And, you know, I think back to myself and I go, is that, wow, what a great comment. You know, what a great coaching comment. You said, great point, you know, super, super instructive. So, <laughs> um, I think applauding the process is, is a big one, not over coaching for sure. And then just making your show up with a plan and you're prepared. Yeah. If you, uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail. So exactly. as, as far as, yeah, as far as, um, your process for preparing, uh, what is it? <laughs> So a lot of times, uh, you know, I get home at night, you know, usually after seven, I'd look at the schedule and go, okay, I've got these four lessons. So I sit down and I have my notes from their last lesson. Hey, what did we work on? How did it go? Did I say anything that resonated with them? Oh, okay. We talked about this. That's great. I might've watched them in the group play points and see something that popped up and I go, okay, I want to make sure I allocate 15 minutes of time for that. Uh, if it's a technical thing, the kid's working on. I'll go back and look at the video from the last lesson and then compare that to previous and go, okay, yeah, I want to make sure that, you know, they keep thinking about this, but I really just sit down there. I'll make a note on my phone and I'll go, okay, uh, Logan, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work on taking the ball on the rise for the first 10, 15 minutes. And then we're going to work on your transition volley footwork. And then we're going to work on your overhead. And then we're going to go to serves. And, you know, the one thing I'm terrible at is sticking to a time. You know, I mean, I'm like every other coach. I, I say, hey, three more balls and it turns into 30. And <laughs> I hate myself for that, but it's it's what I'm doing. And um, yeah. but yeah, you know, I, I kind of use that process. I just sit down and I think for 10, 15 minutes about each kid. And then I'll plan the group practice kind of similarly and go, hey, what's something that every kid needs to get better at today? Uh, we need to do more overheads and lobs. Okay. We're gonna do 20 minutes in the beginning on this drill. And then we'll work that same theme into points where they come into the net more so they get some live reps with that sub. So really just, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. And like I said, it's not work. So to me, that's fun. It's like watching TV. I'm sitting there at night. I'm going, man, how am I going to get to this kid better tomorrow? That's it's fun for me. Legitimately. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's so cool. I love, love to hear that. I uh, wish all coaches were like that. It's kind of like a very niche or I don't know how to term it, you know, very specific question, but like, what do you use to take notes? Is it like a notebook or your phone, like some app? Like, well, what do you do with that or how? I used to, I, I'm at the point now. I mean, like you said, I'm not tech savvy, but like if I handwrite something, like my wrist will cramp in like three minutes. Like I can't remember the last <laughs> time I like hand wrote something. So I have... Uh, I am pretty organized. So like I have folders on my computer. I typed out what the practice was. I might go back and, and make a little note. Ah, that drill worked well. Ah, the kids hated this drill. They didn't understand it or I didn't explain it correctly. Um, so I kind of have a list daily. I, I could go back and say, hey, what did I do with Vivian on February 7th, 2021? We did these drills. Got it. Um, and so I just have it on my computer. I type it up. It holds me accountable. You know, I think coaches can get lazy and you fall into, oh, I've done these same four or five drills now for a month. Like, no wonder the kid is bored and not engaged. Like, I've got to mix it up. But I just type it up, keep it in folders so I can recall. And, uh, you know, that system's worked pretty well for me. Very nice, Jonathan. And then in terms of your the fitness for your students, I'm curious, you know, how much of that do you handle versus how much of that are you outsourcing or, you know, having the student just go to um, a strength and conditioning or, you know, other fitness coach? So, you know, I coach at a Snee farm that's in a Snee farm country club. It's Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Uh, we have a small academy there, Rise Academy, which actually we have, we have a bunch of really good national players actually for how small it is, but we have a local track coach from Charleston Southern. She comes out and she kind of works them out with some, some speed stuff. A lot of them go to their own personal private trainers. Uh, but one thing, one thing I learned, I got to do three summers in Las Vegas with Gil Reyes for a USTA college camp. Nice. And 
he would he's he's amazing and he would tell me stories about andre and kind of how he used to train and he told me a story that andre went to see carl lewis and hey carl how can i get faster and so carl came and watched him and andre was like okay we practice and now i go run these sprints and i do x y and z and carl was like well why would you run sprints like what were you doing in practice like your practice mm -hmm. wasn't good enough it wasn't intense enough and that one hit home for me like of course you're going to do off-court stuff but the best way to learn a tennis specific movement is just to do it with intensity while you're practicing like why mm -hmm. yes you need some extra but if you feel like man i'm not getting anything out of my tennis workout then you might need to re-examine that workout. Uh, mm -hmm. But we, we, we do outsource it. I don't do any of that. You know, I think there are people that know far more than I do. And you know, I want to spend my time on court with what I'm better at, which is helping them with their serve or their tactic or their emotions and, and then leave a professional you know, to, to work on their speed or whatever. And, and I'll give my input if people ask what I see on the court. But I think it's better to, you know, there are people that know far more than me about that stuff. Got it. Got it. So it's just kind of specific to like amateur three, five to like five Oh tennis players. But, um, if you could kind of package, <laughs> it's kind of tough, but like, what, what are your, what's your advice for, you know, strategy for, for amateur players? Like what, if there was some sort of philosophy or approach that you could tell them to, to pursue, like, what would that be in terms of singles or doubles? Oh yeah. Of course I should have said that. Let's go with singles and then let's tackle doubles after that. Okay. So at the three, five level, especially, but even up until five Oh, I, I tell my people to quit trying to do so much. Why mm. are you so obsessed with hitting deep in a corner? Like, why do you think you have to make your opponent miss? They're going to miss for free in four shots. Like yeah. you don't have to, all you got to do is just give them the chance by making it. So I'm very big on like the baby step. Like, can you make your serve and not double fault? Great. That's step one. Can you make your plus one ball? Great. They might complain that it wasn't fast or deep enough. I don't care. If you make two balls, that's pretty good. You know, and so my advice to them is always to just, you don't have to do so much. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to think that you've got to hit these amazing shots. Your average shot is really good. Just put it in play, pick a big target, move your feet and be very comfortable hitting a ball one square out of the sweet spot that lands on the service line. That's a, that's a good shot. I'm not going to lie and tell you it's an amazing shot, but it's a really good shot. And I think once people understand that and they go, oh yeah, you're right. Like, you know, I love when they walk off the court and they're like, I didn't play that well, but I won. And I always say, no, 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 you didn't hit the ball well, but I'm assuming you played well because mm -hmm. that means you competed, you used the right strategy. There's a big difference there. And for me, those are the rewarding matches. Man, I won the match, but I didn't hit it well. Hitting it well is kind of like the bonus, you know, and that feels good and it's more fun, but just making balls, keep it simple. Quit trying to feel like you need to do so much. I got to hit winners on my 4-0 opponent. You don't, you don't, <laughs> they're going to miss, you know, they're going to give it to you. Just let them. Yeah. Yeah. You reminded me of, um, yeah. Cause I, I taped and put one of my singles, uh, matches on YouTube. It was just a set. And I was watching and I was like, I not really doing anything special here. Like nothing looks amazing at all, but you know, found a way to one uh, to win. Um, but it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's not that complicated, I guess. Uh, and right. then in terms of, um, in terms of doubles, uh, what's your advice there? That's a good question. There's, there's lots of different ways to play. I would say similarly, I mean, you want to make the first two balls. A, a little bit of a difference for me in doubles, though, is I'd, I'd much prefer you to be on offense after the server return, especially as the level goes up. So it's really tough to be at the net if your partner has a weak serve. And it's also tough to go up to the net when your partner is floating a short return because now you're kind of a sitting duck. So I do think in doubles, it's a little more practical to think offensively. But you yeah. still have to balance it because you don't want to go so reckless that you're missing so many balls. And that's kind of where your own level of awareness has to go, man, is my risk worth the reward? But in doubles, for sure, you know, you want to be on offense when the serve and the return are finished. Am I on offense? And if you are, you're probably doing pretty well. And if you're on defense, you know, that's kind of going to be tough sledding. So, you know, attacking second serve returns, uh, using your first serve as a weapon. Those, those two are, are, are big. The other thing I would say is 
there's lots of ways to play doubles. So at Duke, we had two players and they weren't great volleyers. They weren't great servers, but they had awesome ground strokes. And we said, okay, you guys can go to the net to pick up a ball when you miss one in the net. Other than <laughs> that, you're going to serve and stay back. You're going to return and stay back. And at first they really didn't like it. And they went like nine and one at three doubles in the ACC. And, and these teams would come and play them and just implode. And so <laughs> play, play to your strengths. You know, if you're a yeah. good volleyer, by all means, get to the net. But if, if you go, man, my volleys stink and my forehand's awesome, guess what? Stay back and crack forehands at people. That's an awesome way to win, you know? So don't get pigeonholed into thinking there's one, one way. Play to your strengths. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, um, yeah, that's my game pretty much like your number three doubles team. Uh, you know, just kind of cracking forehands. That, that's kind of, you know, after I serve, which is not classic obviously way of doing things but you know a couple of things that have helped me so much are just kind of kind of um you know my movement like even off the ball and just being more aggressive like when i'm at the net uh, putting pressure on the individual like even if i don't get a, a racket on the ball you know just the moving part makes them think uh and then also uh just calling more plays and varying up the uh the different formations has is, is really helped a lot but um yeah. One thing that's one thing with doubles that we talked to our kids yesterday about was, you know, let's say you're in a one up one back situation, whether it's a serve or return and, and you see your, the, the ground stroke person, let's say I'm at the net and you're on the baseline about to hit a ball. Right. And I see that you're in trouble. Well, where do I think you're going to hit the ball? I think you're going to try to go to my baseline partner, right? Yes. Cross court. Okay. Yes. So then why, why am I not poaching? If I'm convinced you're going to go cross court, like, and I know the ball's going there, why do I not want to be where the ball is? And then conversely, right? Like, well, what if you got a short ball and you're in the court facing me? Where do I think you're going to go? I think you're going to try to hit me. Yeah. So I'm going to back up a step and I'm going to get my backhand volley ready to go. And it's going to be like a ball feed. It's actually going to be really easy. So I think just paying attention. And if you find yourself in that situation and you don't want the ball, that's where you have to ask yourself, number one, do I want to go work on my volleys more or should I just back up to the baseline? Because if you know yeah. the ball's coming across court and you don't want to poach, that's telling you something. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, and it's kind of funny. I, um, you know, as we're, t you know, as you were t talking about these, these sort of predictable situations, like, you know, in doubles matches, like whenever I, what, as the baseline person, when I'm like leaning back in a defensive position, if I'm comfortable, I'll actually go down the line and I'll, they'll, I'll pass them all the time because they're, they're poaching. Um, so I really enjoy mm -hmm. doing that. And then also, um, a lot of times when I play the deuce side and the server hits a first serve up the T, um, I actually will go down the line sometimes too, because, um, you know, they, they know that my backhand's not as strong as my forehand, so they're going to poach. And then, yeah, but, but yeah, a lot of good points there, um, Jonathan. Did you prefer uh, singles or doubles when you were playing? I mean, I preferred doubles. I liked mm -hmm. them both. I had more success. You know, Rajiv and I did really well in juniors. And so, yeah. I mean, obviously, every, everybody enjoys winning. But I liked, I liked having a teammate. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Uh, and I also like, you know, singles... There's lots of things that can happen, right? Like a guy can drop shot. Like how many drop shots do you see in doubles? Not many, right? Because there's a guy at the net. Like that doesn't really make sense. So for me, yeah. it's like doubles. There's only a few options. And if I'm smart enough, it's like I can, I felt like I could control the other three people in the court, you know, and I knew what they were going to mm. do because their options are, are limited because of where people are standing. There's one at the net. So you're not going to hit a drop shot down the line to the net player. So. I really liked the tactical side of that, of being able to predict what would happen and having yeah. a counter for that and feeling like I was winning that chess match. Of course, you can do that in singles as well, but I enjoyed sharing that with my partner more. You know, hey, we're going to serve him here and they're going to return down the line and then, then we'll hit the volley down the middle and they'll lob us and we'll hit a little angled overhead where they're not. And, and then we'll ask a, one of our dads to go get the ball for us, you know, and that'll be fun. <laughs> um, I really like that part of it, but obviously singles too, you know, you get to play every ball and you're out there by yourself and you get to ask yourself questions about how competitive you are and how you can hold up under pressure. That's great. But for me, I always, I always had a passion for doubles. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It's, it's really fun. Do you have any, um, uh, any favorite plays, like one or two of your favorite doubles plays that you use? So 
one play that we started using at Duke quite a bit uh, in the ad court, we would go I formation. And mm-hmm. the play was we would kind of serve backhand body, assuming the, the returner was right-handed. So it'd be kind of a wider serve. And the net person technically was covering the left side of the court. But mm-hmm. what they would do is they would pop up and actually take a small step to the right. The server would then go to the right and cover the down the line as well. But when you serve wide, that angle return is really difficult. And so we were asking the returner to not only go down the line, but go down the line with a small window. If it got by my net man, it's a forehand for the server, which is great. Yeah. And if it goes to the net player, it's probably a forehand volley, which most people are better with. Uh, and we used to run that play, I don't know, at least 60, 70% of the time in the ad. And really, the only people that could kind of get us out of that were people that could chip lob cross court. Uh, mm. So, mm. so that's, that's the best way to defend that. Uh, but if you have a good serve and you're serving backhand body and that net player, even though technically they're covering the left side of the court, they almost pinch to the right. You give that returner a really small target. Um, yeah. yeah. Another thing I would say too about plays though is like, if you don't have a good serve, yeah, it's yeah. not a whole lot. There's there's not a whole lot of plays that can help you. With, I mean, the returner can do whatever they want, and then you're just guessing, and the net guy's on defense. So, you know, you do have to make sure you have a good serve when you're calling a play. But yeah, we use that one at Duke, and that one worked all the time. It was fantastic. Mm, love that. That thank you. That I'm going to use that night maybe <laughs> yeah um, yeah let me know how it goes i will i will so i gotta ask you uh i know we've been chatting for a while so hopefully you don't mind but uh so you have a liverpool jersey on um i should have had my uh tottenham jersey on but uh they did horribly today but uh just curious um you know how did you get into uh to supporting liverpool so i watched a documentary on them i think it was like on fox sports probably like seven years ago and I'll yeah. watch any, any, any sports documentary, like I'm in, like you've got me. And mm-hmm. so I kind of knew the players and they started showing games on the weekends. And I think at the time they were like sixth in the league, but I knew the history oh. and I'm like, oh, okay, they, they've done well. Like they've got money. Like they're probably not going to be bad forever. And Hey, it might be nice to pick a team right. that could actually win. I, I, I follow the jets, New York jets. They lose every year. It's all they do. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't have an NBA team. Yeah. So like, I watched these teams lose. I was like, you know what? I need to pick a winner. So I picked Liverpool. They've been awesome. I, I watch their games all the time. Soccer is an amazing sport. And, you know, yeah. with not only all the, the European competitions, but the Premier League, and then you've got, you know, national team stuff. Like there's always games going on. It's two hours or less. You know, you can, you can mow through it pretty quickly. But yeah, I've got some, you know, Tottenham. You know, I got a bunch of friends who like Tottenham and, you know, you guys can just keep cheering for that sixth to seventh place team and enjoying it. You know, I'll have to correct you. Guys. Now they're in eighth because Wolves uh, leapfrog. Uh, it's ter- it's just terrible. But uh, we have some games at hand. But uh, yeah, please connect me with your friends, uh, Tottenham supporters, so we can all cry together. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, you guys have you know uh, Salah who's like the best player right now. I think probably in the world, uh, arguably. And you got you you guys stole Le- Luis Diaz from us. We were supposed to get him. Yep. We needed him so so much more than you guys. And you got and Mane, my favorite who thing won. about it too. Yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. my favorite thing too is like uh, you know as as the coach in me when I'm ever I'm cheering for these teams, I'm always watching the coach. Klopp. So Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp, like he's amazing. He's amazing. Not only his tactics, whatever. Which I'm not a soccer. You know, I don't exactly know exactly what he's doing, but the way he manages players, the way the team plays with enthusiasm, like, man, that guy knows how to manage people. And that's also a skill in coaching. So the coach in me really likes watching him do work, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a great team and I, I enjoy watching them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy watching him too. Actually Klopp is a great coach and I'll, I'll have to send you, there's a video where he like, there's just like a random guy who, who um, is like a presenter or something. And then Klopp like evaluates his game, like, you know, his striking and dribbling and all that stuff, penalty shooting. So that, that was pretty cool. But uh, all right, I guess enough of that about the Premier League, just because we're a tennis podcast, but I wanted to get that in. Uh, and I like New yeah. Jersey. Cool. So Jonathan, what are three books? And, you know, we talked about Peak, which we'll link on in the show notes page. But what are three books that you would give to a friend to help them improve their tennis game? And they don't have to be, you know, uh, specifically tennis books. Three books. Okay. Well, peak would be the first one. We already talked about yeah. that. Um, yeah. 
you know, I just had, like I said, Carlos Goffey, who coached McEnroe, you know, back in the day from a junior to being number one in the world. He's got a book called Tournament Tough. And mm. there's lots of great stuff in there. He's talked about it in podcasts before. He's actually doing an online um, instructional platform that's coming out, you know, relatively soon. But his cool. book has some awesome things about what happens in between the points, pressure points, how you should be playing. Um, and that's the side of the game to me that's like super interesting. Mm -hmm. Third book. <sighs> that's a great question. I'd have to get back to you on a third one. Those two for me are right now the ones that I would go right away. Go read Peak. Go learn how you should be practicing in general. And then go read Carlos's book. It's been out forever, but a lot of the stuff still applies. And, and you're on a good start with those two for sure. Nice, nice. Uh, do you like Inner Game? Yeah, I do. I read that one a long time ago, um, and I still yeah. go back and read it. And that's a great one. You know, that's the cool, cool thing about rereading. And I don't know if you do the same thing, but I've got notes on all these books, and so I go back and kind of reread my notes, and I go, ah, got sloppy. Like there's another, you know, concept that I learned from this book that I'm not implementing on a daily basis. So yeah, Inner Game, Inner Game, obviously is a fantastic book. Nice. Uh, the other day I was actually last night, I was listening to a podcast by Lewis Howe's School of Greatness, a fantastic podcast. And he was having a episode on, uh, I guess, Bob Proctor, who unfortunately passed away. But Bob Proctor said that, you know, if you want to change yourself, like what he did when he wanted to change a habit is he had like a, a page of a book bookmarked and he would like reread that page like every day, you know, to like to help reprogram himself. So I find that that, that was interesting. Um, interesting. You know, a, page of, a page of the book that like was telling you what to do or just like resetting yourself habit wise. I'm going to read that page and move forward. Oh, it was. Yeah, I was telling him like what to do. Like, you know, so for example, like, you know, maybe like waking up early or something like that, you know, how to do that. So he would just read that every day. I don't think that was it, but, you know, just an example. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was really cool. Awesome. Uh, Jonathan, well, where should people go to connect with you? So, you know, you can find me, like I said, on Instagram, it's at Stokey Tennis. You know, I take messages on there. I think I have my email on there as well. You know, the podcast is on every platform, just like any other, any other podcast. But yeah, most people reach out directly to me through Instagram. You know, I respond to everybody. You know, sometimes it takes me a while, but um, if anyone takes the time to reach out, I'll, I'll definitely respond. And then, you know, you can find me in Charleston at Snee Farm and, and a member of Rise Academy. I think we have a website for that, you know, Rise Academy, but, you know, any of those, any of those ways. But yeah, you'll find me online. I'm shooting out a video every morning around 7 a.m. And, you know, hoping that one of them clicks with anyone out there to, to help them get better at the game. Awesome, Jonathan. And to close, uh, what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? Whew. One, I only get one. And it, does it need to be something different than what I've said so far? Uh, no, it, is, it does not. I mean, if it's something that you really feel is, is, is like the, the, the biggest takeaway or something and you've said it before, like that's fine as well. And you're only going to give me one. That's hard. Uh, I'll give you, I give you two if you want. Give me a 1A and a 1B, okay? 1A, 1B. Uh, ah, smart. My, my, my 1A, my 1A, and it's from Craig, but it's something I've always believed, is make the first two balls you touch. Mm. Just, just make two. I made my serve and my plus one. I made my return and my plus one. Quit getting so picky about how, how deep it was or how fast. Make two balls. That's awesome. That, that mm. always applies. The second thing is spend time on your mental game. And that means mm. something different to everybody, whether it's, I get angry. Okay. Work on managing your emotions. I can't pick up on patterns. Then you should be spending time on you know, remembering what happened the last point and writing it down and developing that habit. But it's just such an underutilized part of people's game and they don't practice it. So making two balls, but also I got to get something in about the mental side because it's just so under-practiced. Got it, Jonathan. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, I just really want to acknowledge you for your passion for the game and for, you know, helping your students uh, reach uh, their potential and really do appreciate it. And it was really cool to connect because I do remember, you know, that when I was a junior, like seeing your name, the, the big national tournaments and super nationals. So uh, really cool to, uh, to see you um, do great things in tennis. And, you know, like I said, definitely everybody check out 
uh, Jonathan's Instagram page and the baseline intelligence podcast. If you want to improve your game. So, uh, thanks again, Jonathan and, uh, great speaking with you and hopefully we'll connect again soon. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with coach Jonathan Stokey and definitely check out the links mentioned on this episode on the show notes page at tennisfiles.com slash 240 or tennisfiles.com slash podcast. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and got value from it and the podcast as a whole, then I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or or just leaving a review by hitting the the review button, I guess it is, uh, on your favorite podcast app of choice. And uh, that's that's my request. (laughs) If you have a just a couple of minutes to do it. Maybe it takes like less than a minute probably, but I would really appreciate that. Thank you in advance. Just want to leave you with a quote as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by Michelle Obama. And Michelle said, just try new things. Don't be afraid. Step out of your comfort zones and soar. Uh, and I think uh, regardless of, uh, you know, you support uh, <laughs> in politics and whatever, um, that is a great a great piece of advice. All right. With that, I really want to thank you for supporting the podcast and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. So I will sign out and just uh, wish you all the best and that you have a great, great week and that you get to play and improve your tennis game. Even if you can't play, uh, do other things to improve it, such as you know, shadow swings and thinking about your game and thinking about technique and the mental game. Um, you know, as I mentioned a, a few podcast episodes ago, uh, I had listened to, or maybe was it this episode? I honestly can't remember, but, you know, before a match, I just listened to a podcast episode on the mental game and that really helped me a lot. So, you know, just by listening to podcasts like this one and, and you know, viewing other Uh, useful videos you're going to be improving your game so uh, just keep at it and you will see big gains over time Uh, well small gains you know each day and then all of a sudden you'll see a big breakthrough all right with that i wish you all the best and i'll see you on the next episode of the tennis files podcast this is marabon aranshad signing out thanks for listening to the tennis files podcast For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.